Welcome back to Panic Mode, the podcast for gamers and game designers with your hosts who have never actually purchased any loot boxes, but who really enjoy opening them, Aiden and Shelby. (laughs) Shelby, I have a confession to make. What is it, Aiden? I have opened a loot box. Well, yeah, we really like opening them. I'm sorry, let me rephrase. I have purchased a loot box. What? what? Aiden? Uh, uh, Someone even say a a plurality of loot boxes. Oh my goodness. Is it for uh, some some cards? Were there some cards in those loot boxes? It may have been a (laughs) game that rhymes with... uh, Blarth Pone. <laughs> Schmarfstone? Schmarfstone. <laughs> it's yeah, my anyway. favorite. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what are we talking about today, Shelby? Well, Aiden, today we're going to be talking about uh, something that goes hand in hand with loot boxes, which is operant conditioning. Whoa, a lot of big whoa, words there. You're saying fancy psychology terms. There. You may have to break that down for me. <laughs> yeah. So, operant conditioning um, is what we, we commonly associate with a guy named Skinner, um, but it's, it's basically the changing of behavior through the use of reinforcement, which is given after a desired response. Okay, I only know about the rat in the box. How does that relate <laughs> That's to exactly what you just it, said? Aiden. <laughs> uh, this is funny because Aiden wrote a paper on operating conditioning. He knows exactly what I'm talking I wasn't, about. I, maybe it wasn't very good. <laughs> so that idea um, of the rat is pushing a button to receive a treat. Yeah, so that so is operant conditioning. It's the, something really positive happening in that case to reinforce a behavior of button pushing. But what's interesting about that case is that a rat normally has no prerogative to yeah. press a button. But yeah. since he knows he's getting food when he presses the button, all of a sudden he wants to press this button all the time. I would want to press a button all the time if it gave me food. <laughs> no, food. But uh, this is kind of in contrast to classical conditioning, which uh, is more so, which is associated with Pavlov and Pavlov's dogs or Pavlovian responses, which is oh, yeah. less concerned. <laughs> I with know what con- that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've stopped playing dumb now. Now the tables have tables. Yeah. But um, uh, Pavlov, by contrast, was more interested in uh, conditioning uh, responses to stimulus as opposed to Skinner, who was more interested in conditioning behavior. So if you want to look at Pavlov's dogs, for instance, that was he would serve them food by ringing a bell, and the dogs eventually start to salivate at just the bell. And this is different because that's not a proactive measure from the dogs. The dogs are just reacting to the stimulus, mm-hmm. which compared to operant conditioning is where the agent has to be proactive and then yeah. they get rewarded or punished for the behavior they do. Yeah. So we've got some reinforcement. We've got some responses that are coming from that reinforcement. How does this relate to video games, Aiden? <laughs> okay. So in the context of video games, operants are essentially everything where mm-hmm. you as the player are the agent and everything within that game is an operant. And mm-hmm. There's a lot of like cynicism around this idea because I, I, when I was doing my research for this paper, a lot of people were coming, were, were saying like, oh, it's like, it, it, it's video games are not Skinner boxes. And it was just this this really harsh backlash to the idea. And like, I, yeah, it's, it's very reductive to say that video games are Skinner boxes. But to say that they don't use operant conditioning is just conceded. Like that's just not, I, I think that's just a part of how it is, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. It's more just how behavioral psychologists would view video games as opposed to actually like an indictment or anything. Yeah, and throughout this episode, we're going to be examining the good and the bad of utilizing operant conditioning in video games and in games more generally. I think it can go a number of different ways. Um, So as designers and as players, it's something kind of interesting to to be aware of and to keep track of as you're playing, if you're into Uh, that. So (laughs) let's just start with like a really simple example. We're going to play two clips from... Uh, Super Mario Bros, one of the uh, the original Super Mario Bros games, and one where you lose and one where you win. Let's Mm -hmm. see if you can figure out which one is which. Do it. And here's the other clip. (laughs) 
Okay, so the first example was obviously the windscreen. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens when you beat a level. It's really exciting music. It's really celebratory. And obviously the game is trying to condition the player that that's a good thing. That you did a good by beating the level. And it's trying to reward that behavior. And the second clip was obviously defeat screen. Which by contrast was saying was kind of depressing. Was kind of sad. And you were just like, well, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. I don't want that to happen again. Yeah. So the game is conditioning you to not do things. I think that's like a very simple example of operant conditioning video games. And it's not even like a very unique one in the sense that I think a lot of us are conditioned just inherently to know that victory is good and defeat is bad. Mm -hmm. But that's just kind of how it gets expressed in the context of video games. Yeah. But these things can also exist on a more micro level. It doesn't have to be like a win or a loss. That like look at uh, in Hearthstone, for instance, that when you attack with a really big minion, like a really strong creature on your side of the field, the animations are really loud and there's a lot of big sound effects and particle effects, where by contrast, when you attack with a smaller creature, it's not quite as exciting. The game is trying to get you excited. It's trying to reward you for doing these exciting game actions and it's conditioning you on a very micro level it's not always a big flashy animation saying you went something's just very subtle like a, maybe a slightly louder sound effect cool um i'm also a big fan of unintentional <laughs> operants because <laughs> these are really funny um and when so, we say operant that just means behavior influencer yeah behavior influencer so not like instagram though <laughs> yeah not quite uh in the game bloodborne if anybody remembers um, it was gained a lot of infamy for its extraordinarily long loading screens. Um, in the earlier patches of the game, I believe they patched it out across well, platforms. Well, they, they fixed it a, bit. It's, a still, bit. it's still not great, but... Um, but you would die, and there would be... What was it in the first... Like, 47 seconds 40, 45, 46 seconds was a long time. Some, some crazy number of seconds <laughs> for a loading screen in it. And it was really discouraging in the sense that, you know, how much patience do you really have after you, you die so many times, especially if it's a big boss fight, and Bloodborne is based around, you know, difficult combat, and, you know, fairly dying a lot, and so to have to die each time, and you want to return to that place to, you know, fight that creature one more time, there's a lot of seconds in between that happening, and that can be really discouraging for players. I don't think, you know, I definitely don't think that this was intentionally done to discourage players from, you know, an increased frustration and discourage play. No, it's, um, it's conditioning the players not to die, but the game yeah. is very much oriented around the player dying. And yeah, losing. exactly. So I think um, that's just a, a an unhappy accident. <laughs> but luckily, you know, they did try their best to fix it. Um, but that can happen sometimes. There can be, you know, technical issues. I think we've all had like a technical issue with a game, whether it's, you know, a glitch or um, something isn't working and they have right. to patch it or, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's it's been a huge deterrent. I know when for Aiden and I Monster Hunter World came out, I think we told the story a while back, but we were really interested in playing co-op together and the game came out on PC and it was like the first day. And so it wasn't fully, you know, patched yet. Right. And there were a lot of problems and we haven't played the game since um, because it was such a bad experience. We do want to play it. We do. I promise. I'm I really excited to get back into it. I know. Bring this up on the air I know. I, know. I really do want to play it again, but it was just, it was so frustrating. I think it took us like, we were there for four hours just trying to make yeah. it work and we just beating our head against but, the wall. But by contrast, uh, Borderlands 2, which has seen quite a resurgence lately, has silky smooth. <laughs> oh yeah. Line. That's just it perfectly works so smooth um but that can happen they yeah. can you know you can get turned right. off of things or onto things just completely by accident right, back on subject we have shown that operant conditioning is anywhere and everywhere in yeah. video games and it can exist in lots of different dimensions so where can this go wrong why is this an interesting subject well let's talk about world of warcraft for a second that in uh the early beta in the early beta stages of the game they had this system where players would get an experience penalty after if they played for too long mm-hmm Essentially, the system was to, was trying to punish players who play the game for too long. It was a punisher designed to stop 
extensively lengthy play sessions, but players did not like this system because this was an operant that was a punisher and not a reinforcer, and players tend not to respond to, respond to punishers as well. So instead they got rid of that system and introduced a system which is still in, today, still, still in effect today called the rest system, where when you log in after you've been off for a while, you get an experience bonus for the first few hours of play. Now, what's interesting is that this is actually the exact same system, mathematically speaking, that you get a big bonus and then that bonus goes away and you earn less XP versus you have regular XP and it goes away over time when you get the experience penalty. Yeah. These systems are identical mathematically, but one is an operant punisher and one of them is an operant reinforcer. Yeah. And but players really loved the experience bonus system. And like, it makes sense too. It's like, yeah. I like feeling rewarded, like I'm oh, getting yeah. extra stuff. Like mm-hmm. the system makes sense to me. But the fact that it was mathematically the same system demonstrates that just the way you use operants can, can control the way players think about your game. Totally. All right, do you want to talk about Farmville for a pitch? Oh, man, Farmville. So Farmville is a Facebook game. I'm sure many people have played it. The Facebook the game. The Facebook even. game. I never played it because I don't have Facebook. Um, but I've heard that it was all the rage. Um, so this is one of those point-and-click games where you, you want to grow a cabbage and you have to wait five hours yeah. for the cabbage to grow. But if you have some money, you can pay the game and it will speed up that cabbage growth for you. So the reward system here is obviously like you, you get your cabbage or you get your persimmon tree or whatever. Like that is the, the reward thing here. Mm-hmm. And this is, we're going to get into this. So this is what's called a contingency schedule yeah. where a contingency schedule is kind of synonymous to like a reward schedule or when the player is supposed to feel rewarded in the gameplay. Yeah. It's when you defeat a boss, when you beat a level, whatever, that's when you feel rewarded. Well, Farmville uses a very tactical contingency schedule where it spreads out the reward system and it mm-hmm. makes it you have to wait 5 10 15 hours to get your next bit of progress to get your next little bit of a reward but you can speed up that process yeah you can do that by inviting your friends to play or engaging in microtransactions and that's what the game is trying to condition you to do and mm-hmm. it's doing this very actively the developer zynga actually has done research into this kind of psychology to try to figure out how to best use this and it's a little bit it's getting a little bit shady here and you're kind of yeah. this is kind of, you're going to kind of see where we're going with this episode if anyone is on the kim kardashian uh train hype for the the app that she has, it's the same thing, <laughs> oh, but it's also very very. Is it a video game? Yeah, it's an app on is your. It's a Kim phone. Kardashian video game. Yeah, you just blew my it's mind. great. You get to be like a celebrity. I don't you know gotta, if I you gotta work this. your way up I to a list. Don't know if I want to live in this world anymore. It's a it's a struggle. <laughs> yeah, and I think like the just is like like what you're talking about here is like you're very common tactics in uh, mobile and free to play games. That yeah, games, you see them a lot on mobile games. That the games are not strictly speaking designed to be fun. They're not. They're, they're conditioning you to do a specific action, and that's usually engaging yeah. micro transactions because that's how they're monetized and that's how they get away with being sold for free yeah i think um <laughs> i guess with the kim k game there is like some there, i could i don't know i can see the appeal of it as to why it would be fun because the progression system it isn't necessarily designed around microtransactions but having a sense of progression just in general right. for wanting to move up so it, i don't know i think it does some clever things um but we're not here to talk about that game um basically what we want to get across with farmville is that as designers it's sort of interesting to step back and say okay you know we have these mechanics employed but what is it what is it for is it for our players to spend their money is that morally okay i don't know can you like the game farmville just to like of course you can that's cool like whatever you want of course that's your opinion that's wonderful um if you love those kinds of games that's awesome games are amazing um but i don't i just worry that these games could take advantage of people for example um and that's i don't know that's kind of a bad feeling and i don't i don't like that no and i think that's that's going to kind of what we're going to into here is we're talking about what is what is ethical when it comes to using these yeah. when, you, when it comes to using operating conditioning in this way and i think something you just brought up quickly was like uh the progression systems in farmville where mm-hmm. like the gameplay itself is not very interesting yeah it's just pointing and clicking which yeah, can be like, interesting maybe not in like even <laughs> imagine just like 
why why isn't there a whole genre of farm-based simulators if Farmville was such a success? Why isn't that taken there are, off? There are. There are? It's called Stardew Valley. <laughs> well, you're just ruining my point. But my point being is like, there's not a lot of video games that are just about doing chores, which is essentially yeah. what Farmville is. That the gameplay is not compelling, the context is not all that compelling, it is essentially just, it is, it is a farming, a very boring farming simulator. But mm-hmm. the game is designed to be very social, and I think a lot of people play the game because their friends play the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that is because of how effectively they were able to use operant conditioning to yeah. get people to invite their friends to play. Yeah, social media is a huge part of And that is why that game well. is such a bloody epidemic. Mm-hmm. And I think this is going to be a kind of a rule of thumb we're going to get to at the end, is that a progression system is not a game unto itself. Mm-hmm. That the gameplay has to set, be able to stand on its own in some regard. All right, so, Shelby, uh, I think we've been beating around the bush long enough. What is the most extreme example of operant conditioning in games? Oh, man, Eden, well, <laughs> you know it's casino games. <laughs> yeah, so casino games. Blackjack, mm-hmm. poker, roulette, you name it. Yeah. And this is because uh, casino games use contingency schedules in a very effective way, which is to say that it's a random contingency schedule, which mm-hmm. has been proven psychologically to be the most effective one. That you don't, when players don't know when their next reward is going to happen, that's when they find the gameplay most compelling. That when you're playing Farmville and you're gonna, you know you're going to grow a pumpkin every five hours, you're like, okay, that's exciting. I'm excited for my new pumpkin every mm-hmm. five hours. <laughs> it's not as compelling as like, maybe I'll get my pumpkin this time, or maybe yeah, the or next time. maybe the next time. Or maybe I'm going to win this hand of blackjack. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to win the next hand of blackjack. So we're going to be kind of getting into the the ethical considerations of operant conditioning and our takeaways here. We're going to be giving casino games a bit of a pass because casino games are heavily regulated and taxed, restricted to adults, and gambling addiction is very broadly stigmatized. But these kind of things don't apply to video games and don't apply to video game progression or video game loot boxes or things like that. That if you spend $1,000 on loot boxes, people are going to say, like, that's kind of weird. You're very addicted to that hobby. But they're not going to, like, put you in rehab or anything. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, it's just not very stigmatized. By comparison. Yeah, there's a different sort of mentality, I think, especially around video games, because at least so many people that I've talked to go in with a passion not to make money because you don't make money in the video game industry. Shelby, Shelby, <laughs> you're driving to, away our I know, I'm sorry. But you make, you know, you make, you make art, ideally. Um, that's your goal. And so you kind of look at some of these games and it's like, well, you know, what, what has your goal become? Um, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to shame anybody who enjoys playing these games or, or likes these games. I think there's, like I said before, especially for Kim K, right? There's like a lot to like, there's a lot to not like, it totally depends on the person, but I think as designers and as players, it helps us to be aware of some of these systems that could be employed, especially if, um, we find that we're, we're extra susceptible to them or something like that. Right. I know that Aiden and I really like opening, uh, loot boxes in Overwatch. I've never paid for any of them, but I really enjoy the feeling of like, like you said, like, Oh, what am I going to? get yeah um well it's because it's a, it's a randomized contingency schedule yeah. you don't know when you're gonna get your next big legendary but i appreciate what overwatch does because you it does give you in-game currency that you do not have to pay for um that you're able to buy the skin that you want with right. that in-game currency that you earned by playing the game right and so i've never felt the need to purchase a loot box because i can just if there's a skin i want i just like wait a couple weeks and save up for it and then right. I just purchase it myself um, which I think is great. I think that's a great way to do it. And I think like those um, are those are kind of safety valves that you should be putting in your game as developer. Yeah. And I think too, you know, with a game like Overwatch, we need to think about an ongoing game, right? All of a sudden, all of these games want to be evergreen, which is basically a, a continued model of gaming, right? So the game is released, you pay for the base game, and then it's just continued development. Yeah, we get to patch 12.2.3 of a game. Yeah, right? But what you need to remember is there are teams of people working on those games, and those people need to be paid. Right. And we need to start thinking, okay, what is a sustainable model of ensuring that these people 
you know, are being, are being treated properly and are, are getting, you know, the income that they, that they deserve, right? And so then this is an episode that we, when we talked about monetization, it's like, well, how do we monetize games? Right. A loot box is a way to do that. Um, but then, you know, like we said here, well, <laughs> what is the difference between ethically and, you know, unethically doing that? And I think it's a very fine line. And I think there are many different cases. Right. And I don't think there's like one like set formula to follow. You know what I mean? I feel like there's so many different ways to do it. Ways we haven't even thought of yet. Um, so, yeah, I just I don't know. I think being aware of it and talking about it is a great place to start. Is, is the way I think about it is that that meme that's modern problems require modern solutions. <laughs> and it's like video games cost more than ever. And especially yeah. if they're evergreen. Mm-hmm. So using monetization models that use operant conditioning in this way is an appealing way to keep your keep your lights on as a game developer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't use mi- microtransactions no, or anything no, like no. that. But at the same time, like there is a line where it's like you can't just psychologically exploit the consumer for their money <laughs> using yeah. operant conditioning. Yeah, we want to be we want to be careful. Um, or at least have a system to sort of check in on the players who perhaps are spending more because it's called, um, oh, what is it? Like whale economics. Yeah. Um, and this is something actually a lot of mobile games rely on, uh, which is having, you know, you, you click, you pay to win or whatever, and you rely on like 1% of your consumer base who is just loaded (laughs) to spend all of the money. And that makes up for the players who it's like a free to play game. Right. And they play, they just kind of coast along free, whatever. Um, but then it's those other, those few players at the very top who right. are considered whales because they are just rich <laughs> and they are the ones that spend all the money. But maybe we should, you know, be checking in on those people and asking if they're okay. Um, I don't know if that would be the worst. Thing. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so, know. I just want everyone to be okay. <laughs> that's, that's my goal. <laughs> but some people can afford it and some people are okay yeah, with it. Yeah. Yeah. If you can afford it and you're okay with it, that's totally awesome. But if, you know, you're, you're okay with it, but you can't afford it and you're getting but, into some trouble, then, you know, I... I want to. I want to take care of you. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think some of those whales are literally just the the rats in the Skinner box. Yeah, that they're just pressing the button ad nauseum, and yeah. they spent four thousand dollars on a game. Though. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, if you have the means to do that, that's okay. It's the it's the people who have you know who have the addictions and who have the you know the health issues that I want. I don't want to be exploited in that way, right? Okay. Like, yeah. So let's tie it back to operant conditioning for a second, because I want to quickly state that operant conditioning and fun are not mutually exclusive, and mm-hmm. I know there's like. A whole bunch of scholarship on like what makes a video game or any game for that matter fun, mm-hmm. but operant conditioning is not separate from that. Yeah. That uh, look at a game like Cookie Clicker, for instance, which is essentially just a game of raw operant conditioning, where mm-hmm. if you haven't played it yet, you essentially click on your screen to make cookies, and then eventually you f- you can buy things with your cookies that automate the cookie process. Yeah. So eventually you're making like a billion cookies a minute or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that gets out of hand really quickly, but at the end of the day, the gameplay is just clicking. So. But that game is still, like, fun to an extent. That, mm-hmm. that is a game that exists as raw operant conditioning, but it is still fun to an extent and mm-hmm. for some people. So the way I've kind of, like, learned to describe it is, like, a, a video game is, like... Uh, the way I've learned to describe it is, like, the fun in the video game it has to be, like, in the gameplay in some extent. And the operant conditioning itself can contribute to that yeah. in the sense, like, if you went to a restaurant and you, you ordered some nice gameplay, mm-hmm. the operant conditioning would be, like, the menu and, like the plate that comes on, maybe, like, some salt that goes on the gameplay, but it cannot be the gameplay itself. Yeah. Like, the gameplay itself has to be compelling in its own right. And the operant conditioning can enhance that, but where it gets concerning is when it's just, like, it's just, the operant conditioning is just, you've deep-fried the crap out of the meal to hide the fact that there's nothing inside. Yeah. No, that's a really great way of... That's a good comparison, Aiden. <laughs> All right, and 
our ethical considerations for how we're going to like consider how we should and should not be using operant conditioning is operant conditioning has been known to game developers for a while and companies like Zynga have learned that they can kind of weaponize it. Yeah. <laughs> and that is where things get problematic. And I think legislation and the law is only catching up to that now. In Europe, a lot right now, they were going through this process of trying to figure out should loot boxes be legal and stuff like that because they play on the exact same operants as gambling and casino games do, yeah. and those things are heavily regulated while loot boxes are not. Mm -hmm. So regardless of the law right now, what is ethical is to not exploit your consumers psychologically for their time or their money. <laughs> yeah, whatever that may mean, right? And I guess I, I want to add, too, that just because somebody is, if you're, you know, targeting those whales who can afford it, just because someone can afford something doesn't mean that they are okay, right. <laughs> if that makes sense, right? Um, yeah. So I think just, yeah, just be, just be kind. <laughs> right. Ready to move into takeaways? Yeah. All right. So how do we, how do we address operant conditioning as developers? If you've listened to this podcast or done any amount of psychological research into behavior, behavioral psychology, you know what operant conditioning is, and probably mm -hmm. know what it's like in video games. What do you do with this information as a developer? Um, I think, you know, it's kind of what we mentioned earlier about being aware of the techniques, how to employ them safely. So a game that I think does it well is Overwatch, which I mentioned. Um, but I think, you know, even with a game like Overwatch, it's easy for somebody to get carried away. Right. I think having um, check-ins in place, if somebody spends a certain amount of money, let them know that that this is how much you've spent in this game. Maybe that'll be a reality check. I think it's really easy, if, especially if you plug in your credit card, to just be like, yeah, like five more gems or whatever, right? right. Um, and you kind of lose track. Um, that could be a good way to kind of let people know what's going on. Um, maybe even have like customer service people checking in if there's like another, if there's like a huge threshold that's, you know, that's overcome. Um, and I think yeah. like... We've talked about this with other developers a bit, and we've kind of all agreed that it would be very extreme to actually, like, cut the player off and say you can't spend, spend any yeah, more money. Like, yeah. I think some people just want that experience. Yeah, I don't want it to be like, you know, we're, we're holding anybody's hand or we're trying to parent anybody. I just want to have... I just want it to be fair for players that they are aware of how much money they are spending, I guess. I just... I want that to be very clear to them. Right. Um, rather than, you know, hiding it behind pretty colored buttons and stuff like that. And I think that's the way we can avoid uh, psychologically exploiting them for their money. But something we can do to avoid psychologically exploiting them for their time is to facilitate arbitrary exit points, which is essentially finding points in gameplay where the player is incentivized to log off and to stop mm -hmm. playing. This could be after a two-hour session, could be after a 10-hour session, could be after a 10-minute session. But this is something that's just kind of starting to emerge more recently, is I think a lot of game developers are like, if my if, if my players love my game so much that they'll play it for twenty four hours, that is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and that is not wonderful. Yeah, that that is taking a toll on the players. And if you and I, I think this is something that extra credits did in a video about that. I'll link in the show notes. They talk about that like sometimes the operants will be set up in such a way that it's like okay, I want to get one more reward hit and then I'll go to bed. Yeah, but maybe that'll all get screwed up. It's like when we're playing Overwatch late at night and we wanna we wanna end on a win. Yeah. And we just get frustrated as hell. We keep losing, we keep losing, we keep losing. And we just ends up on a really sour note after yeah. all those losses for the night. We should have found an exit point earlier. Yeah. But being able to facilitate arbitrary exit points is a very interesting part of games and I think is underutilized. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, when it comes to time, 
I think video games get a really bad rap in terms of who's taking the brunt of the criticism here. That it's like, um, like, I, I, like Netflix, like I'm looking at you, right? Like whoever says, oh, you've just binged an entire show. Like, right. oh, that's so bad for you. Like nobody, nobody says that, right? I just love um, like, it's only video games that get attacked like, for this. People are like, see, and it's like, oh, you've played like 300 hours of the F Skyrim. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tracked. How many hours of NFL have you watched? And it's just like. I think video games get a big rap because they're tracked, because how much time you play can be very easily easily accessible. Yeah, yeah. I just think, um, you know, if we're going to be, as developers, as players, as consumers of media, if we're going to be criticizing one for this, well, we should be going after everybody. That's fair. <laughs> um, and I don't think, you know, if, they're, if we're not going after television and film, we'll ask ourselves why, and then... Oh if and then don't do it for video games. Shelby, you're going rogue. This is a game podcast. I'm just, well, I'm just saying. I don't know. I feel like I I get upset when people say, "Oh, how much time do you spend playing video games?" Because I think I think they are pieces of art, and I think that they are they offer these these wonderful experiences that are that are so singular. And I feel I don't know if that's if that's what you spend the bulk of your time doing, and that makes you happy. Like that's awesome. Um, it's, you know, like anything in excess, it's when you stop doing other things. And then, of right. course, that becomes a problem, right? But that's not, I feel like that's not what people are talking about a lot of the time. Um, I think a big part of it is just the novelty, that it's new and it's different. Yeah, it's new and it's different. And I don't know, we should we should stand up for the things we love and we should, we should take care of one another and make sure we're taking care of ourselves. Um, but this medium is awesome. And I, I feel like... I don't know there's so much left to explore um and don't let anybody tell you <laughs> differently <laughs> I, like, I like the sassy i'm just no one can see it but i'm like sassily waving my finger <laughs> all right so um how can we as consumers or as gamers um handle operant conditioning i think a big one is just knowing what to look for and like knowing when it's being employed right. um so i think that's actually been super helpful with overwatch um, because I can say, okay, well, like there's this event that comes out that's only on for a month, right? They do these like monthly or I don't know, maybe a couple weeks long events and there's special skins that are released right. with those timelines, right? And so you only have a limited amount of time in order to get that new skin before, uh, you, you have to wait a year, right? And so that incentivizes purchasing loot boxes because you'll get more. Okay. But even more, if you want to see another instance of how they're hammering that home is that they'll raise the price of new skins. So it costs you more of the in-game currency. Mm -hmm to buy them so That's it really you. wants you to be using the loot boxes to get them so being aware of that cheeky method is sort of i think it enables us a little bit to kind right. of take a step back and say okay this is actually what's going on here um and you know if you really want that skin maybe say okay this is the one that i'm actually gonna spend i'm gonna try i'm gonna buy like 40 loot boxes and then i'm gonna stop and if i don't get it that sucks i'll probably get some other cool gubs and i'll you know i'll, I'll wait until next year um but i think it just helps to know yeah. right and it helps to be be aware of your behavior in response to what you now understand, right? Because you're like, okay, now I can know that I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to play into this for this one skin that I really want, and then I'm going to stop. Um, but don't don't yeah. don't try to sell yourself on it. It's like, well, I'm doing it to support the developers. Don't try to justify it. You're doing it because you enjoy the experience at the end of the day, yeah. and that's entirely okay. But I think a rule of thumb I always look for when I'm playing a game, and I'm I kind of I can kind of feel the operant starting to kick in and <laughs> drag me in weird directions is. Would I play this game regardless of its progression system? Would I play this game just for the sake of the gameplay? Yeah. That like, yeah, like look at a game like Call of Duty, for instance, that the gameplay is very, is typically very compelling for the multiplayer, regardless of the level up system, which yeah. I think is completely fine. Or like, look at like the Devil May Cry type of games where they have 
their lengthy story system and after that they have their uh they have like the the, the, the mode where you just go and you brawl against a bunch of enemies like, there's no <laughs> yeah. more story i think oh, i can't believe i'm getting what it's called but it's just like it's like the battle just the battle mode yeah where there's no more story you're just playing the gameplay i don't find that that gameplay compelling at all yeah which is why i stopped playing devil may cry after i finished the story yeah so be, be aware of progression systems and when they're being used to cover up for an otherwise inadequate gameplay system yeah i think that would help too and i think um you know, bottom line too, like if there are games that you enjoy that employ these methods, that is okay. <laughs> that is perfectly fine. Well, again, it's like you can't you can't not have on print conditioning in video games. Everything yeah. is an op print in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. Just um, know know yourself, know what you are okay with and what you aren't okay with, and feel right. free to support whoever you know you feel is is valuable for for your time and money. And that is that is totally up to you. And we just want people to be to be informed as possible and feel like they are making the best decisions for themselves as possible. And part of that comes with critically thinking about the the media that we consume and and the the methods that go into creating that media. Um, so yeah, hopefully this was helpful on that front. Um, yeah, I th- yeah, I think that'll do it for the episode. Yeah. Though. I think that's all we wanted to Thanks say. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. All right, so. We, we've been, we've all picked up some new games lately. Oh, yeah. So, what's your game called again? Oh, my God. Okay, my game is called House Flipper. Okay, so... <laughs> it has a really weird title. I don't know why that title is weird to me, but... So, this, what do you do in this game? All right, so this game is on Steam, if anyone's interested. It's called House Flipper. Uh, basically, you purchase old, like, abandoned houses. It's like a 3D game. Like, you're in the... Mm-hmm. You know, you just... You're, like, a floating hand, like, first person. Right. Um, and you, you buy this house, and it's, like pretty garbage looking and you like clean it and fix it and like repaint it and like put in furniture and stuff and then you sell it <laughs> you were it's literally a game about flipping houses and it's really calming i like, I like that you fun. like to play this game but i still can't get you to empty the dishwasher <laughs> It's only fun in the game. <laughs> I see. So talk, talk about what are the operants like in this game? What do you what, what what do you feel like is the contingency schedule? What's the what, when do you feel rewarded when you play this game? Um, it's great to like it has like sections if that makes sense. So first of all, there's like rooms in the house. You right. can go like you can clean like by room, or you can do like one room at a time, or like clean each room and then like paint each room and then put for you know what I mean. Like you can right. segment it however you want to kind of like set your own schedule so for you what can, pleases you most. So you kind of get rewards in the level itself, then also for each house. Totally, yeah. So the the biggest reward comes at the end when you sell the house and somebody like buys it from you and you just make like a garbage amount of money. And by garbage I mean like really good. Like a garbage truck full <laughs> like of a money. garbage truck full there of money. Exactly. Um but yeah, it's I I just think it's you know, it's not like the the best game ever. I think there's some bugs that they're still working out. It's it's fairly new, but I believe. You like it because it's like um, relaxing. Yeah, it's very relaxing. Like I just you can turn off the music and so I just like listen to my own music while I'm playing. Right. Um, and you just get to like clean windows and like, you know, take off dirt. And there, there is like a progression system. Like you get to like, you clean so many windows and then you get to like mop faster or something, you know? And then that's like a really fun thing because now you're like, oh, look how fast I can like tile these walls. (laughs) And like, that's really exciting. But it's just like, it's very chill and they did a really good job. And there's no paywalls either. It was just great. (laughs) So here's a question for you. Would you still find the first round of rewards fun when you're just cleaning the house? That's the main gameplay, right? Yeah. So, I'm into would you that. still find that fun regardless of whether you sold the house afterwards? Um. Yeah. There's actually there's another section of gameplay is people will hire you to just like clean their house or like repaint a room or something. Um. So you're not selling any. You're still getting paid for the job. Right. 
Um, but essentially, but, I'm saying just strip yeah. away this. You're getting paid. Strip away mm-hmm. this progression. Do you find the gameplay fun? Yeah, the game. It is fun. And the you gameplay would, you is would fun. play the game without the progression. Um, pro- I guess I wouldn't really see like why you're doing any of this. Like it wouldn't really so make sense. Maybe the context doesn't matter. So. Yeah, the context matters. It's like while well, I play the Devil May Cry story mode, but not the battle mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think the context matters in this case, but I don't feel that I'm being like exploited no. in any way. <laughs> Um, right, so, so yeah, super fun game if you're looking for like a relaxing game that is like so chill um, and you really enjoy those home and garden shows, House Flipper is the game for you. And uh, by contrast, the game I've picked up lately is Sekiro <laughs> Shadows Die Twice, which <laughs> I'm looking for operants or any kind of reward schedule, but I just keep getting stabbed yeah, in the, the face. There is no reward. <laughs> Death is your reward. Yeah, Sekiro is a very hard, very stressful game for anyone who's not familiar. It's a Souls game, uh, if anyone's familiar but with the Soulsborne anyway, genre. We, we, we just thought it was funny that we were putting together this episode, and these are the games we've been playing. Yeah, it's it was just like, these total Sekiro. extremes of oh, how operants can be used yeah. in video games. Well, Aiden and I both just recently finished our degrees, and so I'm, I'm clearly going for the very relaxing post-grad wind-down, and Aiden's oh, like, Oh, yeah, same, <laughs> same. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But yeah, I've, I'm trying to pick up Darksiders 3. I'm trying my best. Um, so, so many games you're trying to play, more. but you're really just here for the therapy right now, aren't you? I know. Yeah, we all need a little therapy sometimes. It's okay. <laughs> sometimes it's secure house. Sometimes it's flipping houses. Thank you for listening to this episode of Panic Mode. You can reach us on social media at panicmode.net, all spelled out, or on our website, panicmode.net. We would love to hear any comments, questions, or feedback you have about today's episode. And we'll be back next time where we'll take a look at historical accuracy in video games. We'll see you then.